Hi there, Rob Verkirk here. If you've been following the mainstream media over the last few months and comparing information there against what you can find on the alternative media that's rapidly emerging, um, um, still largely uncensored channels, you'll see there's a, there's a huge gulf between these pieces of information. And much of that includes a real limitation on, on people's opinions, but also um, a lot of the science is not being communicated via the mainstream. And of course, this reflects the extraordinary erosion of one of the most fundamental principles to democratic societies, which is freedom of expression. So if we are to make choices, we make those choices based on information. And if we are limited in the information that we receive, we cannot make the right choices, not for us as individuals, as communities, and as wider society. So it's incredibly important that we understand the right to freedom of expression and do everything we can to protect it, as our um, forebearers have, have done in the past. So let's just have a, a quick look at what's happening with, with the coronavirus uh, epidemic at the moment. Um, it's very clear that um, in particular parts of the world in which Omicron has properly landed, it is able to displace Delta. Um, let's just have a, a quick look here at the CDC data, the latest data from the CDC showing very clearly that um, over 95% of all the um, sequences for coronavirus are showing that it's now Omicron. And we see a very similar pat pattern in the UK uh, and elsewhere. Um, but on top of this, what we're also seeing is a very clear message coming through the mainstream media suggesting that um, if you had naturally acquired immunity in the past or you've only had um, two jabs, you're not going to be protected. And of course, that's partially because the um, spike protein mutations in Omicron are so different that if you've only had um, exposure to, to Delta or any of the previous uh, coronaviruses, you don't get full protection from all the 26 proteins that are on the Omicron, of which most of the changes are on the spike protein. And of course, this is driving a real push that does not have a scientific basis behind it, both from a, an efficacy and a safety point of view for boosters. So in order to understand what's happening with Omicron, we do have to understand what the consequences of being infected. I mean, it's very likely that the vast majority of us over the coming months in many um, Western uh, countries are going to be fully exposed uh, to, to Omicron. So if we're all going to be exposed to Omicron, we really need to understand in some detail what the consequences of being infected with Omicron are. And here we can look um, more closely at the UK Office for National Statistics data. Um, and you'll see in terms of infections, there's a very clear wave three. We're in the middle of it. We're probably close to the peak of infections at the moment. It's much bigger than the second wave. Um, but in terms of hospital admissions, the uh, effects are, are, are pretty low. And it, it looks like, again, we may have already reached peak. And certainly in, in, in the UK, there is no evidence that um, hospitals are being um, 
overrun any more so than in any other winter. But most importantly, if we look at the impact on deaths involving COVID-19, again, remember, this isn't being caused by it, just involving. Um, so again, a similar metric that's been used before, either deaths within 28 days or 60 days of a positive um, confirmation PCR test, you'll see that there's virtually no impact at all. So that would indicate that even without much in the way of prior immunity, most people's immune systems can cope with Omicron just fine, the way in which we've dealt over history with, with thousands of other different pathogens. But despite all of this and the fact that the infection is relatively benign for most people, boosters are being pushed at us at an alarming rate. Um, with very little information that allows people to make choices or to understand what they might need to do to enhance the performance of their immune system. So if we're going to accept a situation where the mainstream narrative suggests that the more vaccinations we have, the better off we are, it is useful to look at those parts of the world in which vaccinations have already been very, very high. And, and let's look here at the data from France and Ireland, because they are two countries in Europe in which adult vaccination is amongst the highest anywhere. Um, that's over 90%. And you'll see that there is absolutely no protection for Omicron. Um, here you can see daily new confirmed COVID-19 cases per million. So that's... Uh, enables us to look at different countries using the same metric in terms of the concentration of the infection. And you'll see that Ireland and France way ahead of even the UK and the United States. So just as we have many people already built um, long lasting, naturally acquired immunity to other variants, we now have to go through the process and do that again with Omicron. And um, again, when you look at the UK data, um, it is um, very clear that um, antibody positivity is very, very high, is reaching 100% in, in many areas. So this is a good sign. This shows you that, that um, for most people, they have a good, solid, um, high-functioning immune system. They can cope admirably with Omicron. So for some people, it's important to understand, you know, where did Omicron come from? It, 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 it the uh, original lineage appeared to emerge in around about May 2020. And there is now increasing information that again isn't being shared widely on the mainstream media to suggest that the progenitor of Omicron actually jumped from humans into mice. And of course, mice are used, humanized mice in particular that have humanized uh, genes from humans uh, uh, implanted into the mice um, are widely used in coronavirus experiments. And then the uh, Omicron may have jumped again back into humans from those mice. Um, but again, th this is important information that isn't being widely shared. So with this incredible array of information, um, emerging each week, it's changing dramatically, and only a very small proportion is being fed through this lockstep media system um, that, that, for example, initiatives like the BBC's Trusted News Initiative is a, is a big part of. Um, how does that affect people's choices? Um, and are we just to accept a system 
in which we increasingly gravitate towards more and more authoritarian, totalitarian control, not just of our lives, but of the information that we receive. And are the next generations going to just accept this so that they are unable to, to benefit from a situation which information is freely available so that informed choices can be made? So to understand this better, we really are going to look now at the basic framework for um, freedom of expression. And we're going to look at the European system because post-World War II, a fairly um, sophisticated framework for um, fundamental rights, including freedom of expression, has been developed. So the starting point here is the convention that was passed in 1950 in Rome. Um, it's called the Convention for the Protection of Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms. And in Article 10, um, covering freedom of expression, we see a really important paragraph that delivers this right to, to everyone. Everyone has the right to freedom of expression. This right shall include freedom to hold opinions and to receive and impart information and ideas without interference by public authority and regardless of frontiers. So that's, that's this fantastic uh, right that's given to us with one hand, but on the other, as we'll see now in paragraph two, there are particular conditions that relate to national security or public health in which that right can be removed. And I think this is the area that we need to really understand very, very carefully whether authorities are in their rights to be using this measure to uh, remove this right or not. And we would say very clearly at the moment, they're, they're absolutely not in their right to do this. But of course, we, we haven't had the legal precedence being set through the courts yet to um, determine this. And of course, the human rights system continues to evolve. So let's look now at um, what happened um, under the convention with um, protocol number 12, which was passed in 2005. And this relates to the prohibition of discrimination. Article 1 says, the enjoyment of any right set forth by law shall be secured without discrimination on any ground, such as sex, race, colour, language, religion, political or other opinion, national or social origin, association with a national minority, property, birth or other status. So this is a, a really important provision that is being massively disrespected in the era that we're currently living in. Very closely allied to freedom of expression is, of course, freedom of information. And in the current situation we're living in, one really important thing that we all need to be able to do is to access official documents. So here we need to look to the Tromso Convention. This was passed in Norway uh, in 2009. It has entered into force in a limited number of European countries as of the 1st of December 2020, these being uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina, Estonia, Finland, Hungary, Lithuania, Montenegro, Norway, Moldova, Sweden, and the Ukraine. Um, really interesting which countries haven't signed up to it yet, but it's really critical. What it, what it states is each party shall guarantee the right of everyone without discrimination on any ground to have access on request 
to official documents held by public authorities. So really important that we push hard to get the benefits of the Tromsø Convention much more widely recognized um, throughout the world. And as you look more completely at human rights frameworks, you, you've got to not only take into account all of the treaties and the laws, but you've also got to look at the so-called soft law, all, all the guidance and the recommendation that comes out of it. And here, um, there's one particular document that has come out of the Council of Europe that's particularly interesting. It's the Declaration of the Committee of Ministers on the Protection of Journalism and the Safety of Journalists and Other Media Actors. And this was really passed in 2014 in recognition that, that journalists who go after searching and exposing the truth find themselves massively challenged and attacked. And what we've seen over the last couple of months is, is, is journalists pulling back so far into the, the safe harbors that they know that they can use to protect their jobs. And really, just like the doctors who are um, at risk of being struck off if they don't, for example, um, receive their vaccination. Journalists too um, are being um, marginalized or even losing their jobs. And again, critical, if we're gonna protect freedom of information, freedom of expression, that we um, understand the processes that, that are required in order that journalists can actually do what journalists should be doing, which is providing balanced information so people can make informed choices. We have been focusing on the European framework, but essentially the framework is very similar across all Western countries because it's controlled by international treaties. But what's remarkable, despite all of this, is just how uh, much inequality there is in terms of its, its use. So. Um, world leaders, for example, are able to express themselves, it seems, fairly freely, but yet anyone who dissents from the mainstream narrative is condemned um, and, and has sometimes catastrophic consequences as a result of it, losing um, their, their license, losing their jobs. Um, so uh, an example would be Trudeau, for example, from, from Canada, who recently referred to people who don't um, take COVID-19 vaccines as being often racist or misogynistic extremists. So it's remarkable that, that he can say that and then um, people who dissent are seen as, as propagating scientific misinformation or putting public health at risk. Or we can look at um, Emmanuel Macron from France, who said he actually wanted to piss off um, those people who are vaccinated. It seems that he's doing a pretty good job of, of doing that. But yet the French people do not feel that they're able to express themselves freely uh, or receive information. Um, Tedros um, from WHO uh, as well, uh, saying that none of us want to be here again in 12 months' time, uh, talking about missed opportunities, continued inequity or new variants. We must end inequity by ensuring, now this is the non sequitur, by ensuring 70% of the population of every country is vaccinated by the middle of next year with Omicron. I mean, it's quite remarkable that they're saying this when we see such catastrophic levels of vaccine failure for, for Omicron or such very short periods of protection that might be afforded from vaccination. One of the biggest 
um, casualties uh, for free speech is the fact that the public health authorities haven't been doing what is one of the most important tasks, that is really providing people with vital information of how they can actually make their immune systems work better. And here it's critical, you know, those of us who put out information on vitamin D, vitamin C and zinc have had our channels removed, have had those posts removed. That is how extreme um, the system has become. And, and yet all of the evidence would suggest that ensuring that your body has sufficient circulating vitamin D and that you're taking vitamin C regularly and zinc amongst other nutrients are absolutely vital in ensuring that you um, have a competent immune response. What the mainstream media is not telling anyone is that there are actually thousands of cases around the world that are being taken to protect some of these fundamental rights and freedoms, including freedom of expression. Problem is that many of these will face judiciaries that aren't necessarily open-minded to, to this. And um, in other cases, it will take months, if not years, before we start to see results. So really important that we do everything we can to ensure that we still express ourselves as freely as possible. This means using um, as many channels that are uncensored that are available as possible. Um, Telegram being an obvious example, it's been really important for, for us and many others because of its uh, commitment to, to lack of censorship. There's also um, always changes going on with human rights frameworks. So here, um, a bit of a call out to um, our UK viewers. There is a consultation um, on the human rights uh, reform in, in the UK. Uh, the Human Rights Act of 1998 um, is now under the spotlight from the UK government. Um, a consultation opened in December and will close just before midnight on the 8th of March. Um, there are some very specific sections relating to freedom of expression. Um, actually, the guidance for the consultation should suggest that there is an interest in actually broadening this. So really um, important that we have our say there. We'll, we'll say more about it as we move closer to that deadline. But in the meantime, please get it in your diaries um, and do everything you can to um, express yourself as freely as possible. Um, so uh, thank you for listening and please share this widely. Thank you. Bye.